Hey everybody, what's up? This is Paige. And this is Chris. And this is another episode of Animates. Finally! Finally we have returned. So much life has been happening. Um, traumatic incidents were witnessed. Engagements happened. There were many things. Uh, one might even argue an infinite amount of things for such a small amount of time, uh, which is makes it so perfect that today we will be discussing the Cartoon Network slash HBO Max original series, Infinity Train. I would like to also extend a thank you for sticking with us and know that we did not, not record out of uh, choice, but rather... Things just kept getting in the way of our recording days. So uh, thank you, as always, for sticking with us. Hopefully we will be more regular now. But yes, we are discussing the show Infinity Train. Uh, Infinity Train is a more recent entry in our list. We are continuing to talk about shows that kind of fit in the the post-Renaissance period that, you know, continue continue on in its in its stead so to speak the show yes go ahead this one also fits into the uh sort of lineage that we've been discussing um as part of the second generation of sort of renaissance creators uh this this was created and run by owen dennis who was previously a writer and storyboard artist for regular show um, so much in the same way that Steven Universe is sort of a second generation cartoon because Rebecca Sugar started on um, Adventure Time. This is a second generation show and sort of the first really big one that we've seen from someone who really got their start on regular show. Infinity Train began airing in 2019, so it's definitely... Like next to Shira, the most recent thing that we will be talking about, the show is unfortunately also finished. Yeah, this, it got canceled. In this day and age, is is something ever really finished? Unfortunately, I think the answer before the Warner HBO kerfuffle would have been maybe not. Now, <laughs> HBO. I'll miss you. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's that's the thing is this show it's 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 sort of like at a, at around 2014 there became this idea that like the streaming platforms could save beloved shows that were being canceled by network television. And we're now finding that that's not necessarily the case and that streaming services can be just as capricious uh in, in in sort of canceling shows that are beloved and they're even more opaque in their reasoning for why they cancel things looking at you netflix i will never forgive you for sensate um but this was almost this has almost gone through both of those things because you know it was piloted way back in 2016 um got a mini series in 2019 um Cartoon Network says it's going to be an anthology. They do another season a year later. And then later on that same year, 
it goes to HBO Max, where it then runs for two seasons before being canceled in um, 2021. So it almost has already had both lives, you know, it's it's network over the air life and it's streaming service life. And so now you get to a point where you're like, well, if it's been canceled both places, it's probably done, you know, it got the uh, it got the core treatment. Granted, yes, airing on Nickelodeon's website is not <laughs> is not the same as getting aired on HBO Max. Yes, those are different things <laughs> but but still this yeah once it once it ends up bouncing around basically something that we're going to talk about with this show i i i will start with the the tail end which is that i really 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 like this show for a variety yes. of reasons yes but the reasons that i like it are as as we were discussing and will discuss some reasons why it was canceled and honestly why I don't want to say deserved to get canceled, but reasons that I can, I usually don't see things from the executives point of view, but mm-hmm. I kind of can here. Yeah. It's like Owen. So Owen Dennis was the one who suggested that maybe it's lack of renewal was because that the executives were, concerned that it might be too dark and unappealing to children and that shows a level of self-awareness on his part you know i'm like it's like that's the kind of thing that someone says when they're like oh shit i might have fucked up my own show (laughs) you know that's true it is very dark and it wasn't necessarily something that would be appealing to children and it was supposed to be a kid's show um, we have like we have completely segregated like production for age groups in this country. Like we have target demographics and it's extremely strict in animation. And if you say you're going to make a kid's show and then by the last season you have like a dark and somber meditation on the ways that people grow apart over a lifetime of friendship um, and become bitter over failed dreams and a lack of communication. <laughs> Are you really making a kid's show anymore? I think that this is actually a good time to highlight the fact that the what we've seen and kind of the impetus for even this podcast has been the idea that cartoons designed first and foremost for the entertainment of children can be a art form if well done that can be appreciated by adults and can offer adults a lot of things but we cannot forget that that is something that is secondary the adult part is secondary and and no matter how much i love things like adventure time it, that that is very clear that it was made for children. And I don't think that's a bad thing, but I think that that's important. Steven Universe, She-Ra, all of these things, like the window dressing of the fantasy worlds are, are very important for, um, for getting kids on board. When you look at adult animation, what do you typically see? You typically see comedies, 
right? So Venture Brothers, uh, I, I should pick something more mainstream. American Dad, Family Guy, The Simpsons, Futurama. Um, those are typically not super deep. Like they can be, but they're usually designed sort of like in a sitcom format to make you laugh. And those can be deep. Like they, they can have interesting things going on with them, but they're still designed as comedies. There's, I am not super aware of a niche that I would call serious adult animation series. Rick and Morty a little bit? Yeah, like, but it's ostensibly it's supposed to be a comedy. Yeah, it is. It's ostensibly like a screwball comedy. And they've like much like a lot of in like, honestly, in the tradition of all these kid shows, um, they have a uh, Trojan horse in a bunch of very serious themes. Um, and I guess you could say the groundbreaking show for that might be Futurama. But I'm it was still less. I don't feel like anything was anything that aired on television was as like serious and dark before like 2005 as anything that we have now. Like at, when you think of Infinity Train, I it is a funny show, but mm -hmm. it is not a comedy. No. Rick and Morty is a comedy because it is designed with jokes first. And then you 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 sort of described it best. Things get Trojan horsed in. Same with mm -hmm. kids shows being liked by adults. Perhaps Infinity Train's problem is its honesty <laughs> in that it doesn't Trojan horse its content in. It doesn't try to get in through the adult comedy angle and it starts trying to be a kid's show, but it grows quickly out of that. And I think that, that like, I get it, but also kind of sucks for the show because it was fighting how we tend to think of adult or just animation in general in the West. Uh, Japan mm -hmm. doesn't have this problem. No. Um, which we shouldn't have this problem. That's why I like anime so much. I won't get started. Um, but, no, to be fair, anime also does have age demographics. Yeah, but they're like they flexible. They're flexible. They they are more flexible than yeah. ours, ours tend to be. So Infinity Train kind of fits in that niche where it tried to end up being serious, less kid focused, non comedy animation, and I just I think people are into that. I don't think network executives are there. Yeah, and it's like also like the times that we've seen that be really, really successful, it's a mini series. It like the only other thing that I can think of like that is um over the garden wall. Yeah. And um that, and that it's very serious, you know. It, it's very serious, but even then, it was about children. Yeah, and that's the thing, is the first season of Infinity Train, which was billed as a miniseries, was the same way, and it was about a child. Because the main characters of each season, because it's an anthology, each season is about different characters. 
um, each season, the character, the main character gets a little bit older to the time where, you know, our main character in season one is probably, I would argue she's about a 12, 12 year old is what I'd say. Um, whereas our main characters for season four are supposed to be somewhere between 18 and 20. Um, so they're adults, really. They're very young adults, but they are adults. Um, and so, so the concept of this show is that you are a person and you have emotional problems and you're not dealing with them. Suddenly, an infinite train appears and you go, what? And then you get on the train and you're presented with a seemingly infinite number of cars that have like little pocket dimensions in them. And in each of those cars, you face challenges that is supposed to help you address your emotional issues. Nobody, like in the first season especially, you were not explicitly told that that's what's going on. <laughs> um, and, you know, we find that all of the characters, they have a number. Over time, we learn that the number goes up and down. When the number reaches zero, you get to get off the train and go home. You know, if your number, if you, if you like fuck up and don't work on yourself and get quote unquote worse, your number will go up. If you learn the lessons that the train wants you to learn, your number will go down and you get to go home. And so we see a series of characters like going through that process. So in this show, unlike, you know, Chris was describing it as, as window dressing in something like. Steven Universe or Adventure Time, where it's there are a lot of really complex and deep emotional themes, but the fantasy setting is first and foremost, and sort of metaphors and the and the setting are used to transmit those emotional themes in an accessible way. Whereas, like with this show, they're like, yeah, there's a fantasy setting, but really just ignore that. Like, it really just legitimately, one of one of my favorite phrases that the internet has given me is raw-dogging reality um, for about people who don't take psychotropic medications. Um, and it really is a show, they're just like, we're going to raw-dog these emotional themes. And also, this is for children. <laughs> um, and it's intense. I do, I do want to say that there is world-building in the show, and that to say that the window dressing isn't, complicated like as a sci-fi fan it's very sort of like sci-fi maybe even trending into like sci-fi horror background for all of this stuff that's happening mm -hmm. and we're drip fed clues about the train the dimension it's in how it all works um how it operates throughout the series but the focus is never on that unless mm -hmm. it's a plot linchpin and even then those are very limited aspects of the train so we do learn yes. some of how it works and all this stuff but again the 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 main content is supposed to be oh how do we get this algorithm to fix human problems yeah it's like basically the whole concept is that there is like an algorithmic magic sci-fi train that goes hey you need to work on yourself and that also is it's sort of like the fact that it eventually became something that you're like, well, where is the on ramp for kids here is sort of baked into that premise from the beginning, because, you know, 
Chris was saying like, you definitely need, this is clearly not for little kids. Like no little kid could ever really enjoy this. You need to be at least element, late elementary school aged. But even at that point, there's not a lot of stuff and circumstances when you're a child where it's like, you need to work on yourself. You know, it's more likely that you're facing something where it's like there's stuff going on around you that is really challenging and the adults in your life need to assist you in navigating that experience, you know. Um, And so you get to the point where it's like, how many stories can you really tell about a child needing to work on themselves, you know? I, I think you could make a case that the train, I would argue... Here's what I would argue that it's not a therapy train. Mm-hmm. It is it is a train designed to help a person integrate their experiences into their identity. Sure. Okay. That it is Okay. It is it is cuz usually all of the problems in the train are identity based. Mhm. To some extent. Um, and we can kind of talk about how that is. And yes, there are a lot of psychological problems wrapped up in that. But ultimately, whenever people digress in number, when, when they get quote unquote worse, what's actually happening is they're running away from something. They're mm-hmm. fighting integration in favor of fragmenting aspects of themselves and their past in favor of immediate emotional wants or so i would fear. say that that is like that is true about the more emotional and volatile personalities on the train but that is not true about um for example what is his name the human from season two uh oh my god What's his name? All I can hear is Vlad Dracula. <laughs> Alan Dracula. Alan. He's a magic deer. I don't remember, but his whatever he, he like literally the problem the train wants him to work on is being a people pleaser. That's- and so like when he goes backwards, it's literally just when 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 MT's being like, well, why don't we do this? And he's like, yeah, OK, sure. That's Je- when he goes backwards. Jesse. Jesse. Yeah. So like. That one could not be more clear. Like, that's like, I'm not saying you're wrong, but in the case of Jesse, the train is absolutely being like, work on yourself. <laughs> like, grow a backbone. Yeah, I, and, and perhaps you're right. I think that I, I, I still would make a case that he, his problem is an identity problem. He sees himself as mm-hmm. a people pleaser. Sure. And that is a problematic aspect of his self-concept. Sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So so basically what we have going here is just to give like the basics, the very basics of each season um, to give a little context. It's like season one, there's Tulip. She's about 12. Her parents are getting divorced. She's not dealing with it. She needs to understand that even though it feels bad for her, it's not really about her. She needs to be honest with herself about how things really were before, etc. Um, season two, we have Jesse and like his whole deal. And then like a whole other thing that's connected to season one. Um, season three, we have these like psychotic children who have been on the train for a long time and have decided 
like actually the point of the train is a game to be the most horrible you can possibly be um and a few of them like two of them dealing with that basically one of them being like oh maybe i was wrong and the other one being like nope i'm gonna double down um and then the fourth season is like this really like adult sort of subtle story about like these two young men who like grew up together and like now they're becoming adults and they're finding out that like one's pursuing his dreams and finding out how hard that is and that like failure is eminent and the other one's like not pursuing his dreams and finding out how hard that is and that failure is eminent and their friendship is fractured because they don't know how to communicate with each other <laughs> like really really cerebral well and so when when you are placed on the train you're given a number and the number is like imprinted onto you by like a like a like a high tech device, like a sci fi laser tattooer. The fourth season, the characters get a tattoo for their relationship, not yeah. for them individually. Yeah. It's very weird, but mm -hmm. interesting. And we have. This, right, season one has this on-ramp. It's a 12-year-old girl who's mm -hmm. dealing with her parents being divorced and guilt and shame and fear and idolizing a past that never really existed and all these... Brief. As a divorced child, I was like, yep, I love this. <laughs> a divorced child sounds like I divorced my parents. Survivor of child marriage. You're like, yeah, I was married when I was nine, but the, by the time I was 12, we were just a victim of statistics. We were divorced. <laughs> I, I, I was a, a parent of divorced children from a very young age. Um, I'll clarify. A parent of divorced children from a Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh, you went to a support group for a bitch it'd be for parents of divorced children. <laughs> parents of divorced minor children. <laughs> so there's on ramps and I and I really attuned to that and they, they handle it and they, they deal with all the things you would expect them to deal with. I think that's part mm -hmm. of why the window dressing doesn't scare people away because the beats mm -hmm. are so familiar. Yes. Like, oh, this child feels shame. This child feels anger. How do we get them to process all of these things and mm -hmm. understand that their parents are people who mm -hmm. weren't happy together? Yeah. That's great. Season two, uh, dude's a doormat, needs to not be a doormat. And MT, Mirror Tulip, who is mm -hmm. the reflection of season one Tulip come to life. Yeah. But is also her own person who has always mirrored Tulip and now she wants to find herself. Yeah. Is She's very compelling to me. Oh I love Mirror Tulip. Oh my god, she's the best. Yeah, like, love Mirror Tulip. She's my favorite character. Also, I love the way that she dresses herself when she, like, makes herself her own person. She looks so cool. <laughs> like, so season two is about simultaneously stand up for yourself, but also, like, find, find yourself and deal with the anger of everybody trying to tell you who you are.
I also love that at the end, when she decides who she is, she names herself Lake, something that is very reflective, but in reflecting other things that doesn't take away from what it is itself. It's very deep, but it's also yeah, it's something really, like a lake, early, <laughs> like early. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> I apologize. I apologize to everyone. <laughs> it's one of those cases where teenagers can relate to that. Oh, absolutely. These yeah. issues of identity and finding yourself and wanting to be separate from your parents or other people. Yeah. Like, well, in Jesse, too, it's like there are it's like, OK, so there are the teenagers who feel like they don't fit in. And then there are the teenagers who very much do fit in. But part of it is that they are just kind of going along to get along. And, you know, they need to be their own person, too. Like that's which is like, I don't think either of you, either you or I were that kind of person. So that's not really super relatable to us. But I'm sure there's a whole slew of people that it's relatable to. I mean, I will it, I, like the, the biggest point is that his go along to get along was hurting people. Yes. And, and I, like not just himself, like the point at which he gets on the train is when he is such a doormat that it doesn't just hurt him. It hurts his younger brother. Which I think is a very timely message. Yes, absolutely. Like it, it's sort of like a boiled down version of, you know, would you have stopped the Nazis? <laughs> yeah, right. Um, but we still have an on-ramp. I, and, and the best character in that season is Alan Dracula. Love Alan Dracula. Who is a shape-shifting magical deer that yes. follows them along and is the best character in the season. Alan Dracula, I would die for him. I would die for Alan Dracula. <laughs> but he's so wacky that kids get this constant dose of comedy. Yeah, just the fact that he's called Alan Dracula in and of itself, you know? So we start to lose our kid on ramp in season three, where a character from season two that was a side character, the leader of the Apex, she's basically leading that group of people who are trying to get their numbers to be the highest. They go around the train, they raid cars, they attack quote-unquote denizens. Yeah, Uh, it's sort of like... So it gets a little to provide a little additional plot context for this one, because I feel like this one it can be some of the details can be hard to understand without it. So it's like in season one, there's this idea that there's the person who's a conductor. We eventually find out that the conductor is adversarial, but then we even find out that that person wasn't even the conductor. They were just a random person who was on the train and was so bad at dealing with their problems that they, like, ousted the actual, like, robot conductor. And it was a whole thing. And so then there's this whole group of children who happened to get on the train during that period of time. And this one girl really has promoted this idea that that person was the true conductor, that the train is for people and people's enjoyment. And that the point of the train is to get your number as high as you can, that all the quote unquote denizens, so the the people who live on the train but aren't human beings and don't have a number, that they're not really people, that they don't matter, that, that you can do anything to them. And it's, it's classic like 
how do you treat a robot kind of Philip K. Dick shit with that. <laughs> um, and that basically, and then she says so she and another guy have created this whole like Lord of the Flies shit, like little band of horrific murderous children. And then they invest this whole thing in the idea that like that this, the person who was fucking everything up on the train is the true conductor and that the robot is the false conductor and that he's disappearing people from the train and whatever but on some level they know that's not true um so like that's some plot context for all of that because like that belief is very important to like their development throughout the season but anyway please go on chris and her like her situation is some of this identity stuff of being trying to be somebody other than what other people you love expect you to be. But yes. with the added clusterfuck of like a childhood where a person felt like they weren't really seen or cared for. And most importantly, redemption, like the the pain of making a mistake for years and mm-hmm. coming to understand all of the consequences of your actions. Yes. We're starting to but lose also, your children. Like, we're starting, oh yeah, we're like it's complex emotionally. But it's also like it's so moving because there's also the idea of like you when you realize that you have a choice to make. You know, you can choose to turn back the other direction. I'd fix it. Or you can choose to double down. Um, and, and, and what the show says is that on the other side of choosing to double down is barbarism, like is insanity. Whereas like, but if you choose, if you make the right choice, like it's the trying that matters, you know? I can't escape the fact that, boy, it kind of feels like they were trying to make a political message. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, a little bit. Um. Uh, but but the, the themes are still accessible enough that, you know, yeah. we haven't necessarily lost everyone. However, the season is dark as fuck. It's so dark. Like, I think that children can still access it in the sense that like a really big obvious surface level theme is like don't treat people like shit you know um you don't don't decide that people are somehow not people and you can do whatever you want to them just on the off chance that they're people treat them well (laughs) you know is a big theme that i think is accessible to children and a big thing that we try to teach children because as you know all children uh profile as sociopaths um so we need to teach them that but it's so dark to the point where i'm there are moments where i'm like is this appropriate for children people die people die people are murdered like there's a point at which the one character who shows like the other side of the coin you know the barbarism goes oh yeah no you don't need to worry about that person anymore i murdered her like she's never gonna bother you again and the other characters to like maintain their own safety essentially have to like act like it's not a big deal that he just murdered someone and came and was like, yeah, I murdered him, whatever. And you know, I, I couldn't help but read a gendered 
thing with that because it's a guy and a young girl and a woman. Yeah. Like the the woman and the girl are trying to keep themselves safe and the dude is the fucking murderer. So Yeah, yeah, there is definitely a gendered thing there because like everybody like everybody else around him is um is a woman, uh basically, and then he's a he's a white man and he doubles down and doubles down and doubles down and um he, uh, and and part of the reason he keeps doubling down is because he is so attached to his view of himself as a victim. Um, he so badly needs the victim that he becomes the truest villain. <laughs> yeah, essentially, everybody else is a traitor, and there's only his way or the highway, and it, it, it it's very compelling. To, and it's a slow fall. Oh, yeah. It's like it's like slow and then all of a sudden really fast at the end. And like it gets to the point where it's like, you know, they've decided that all of these like granted, probably computer generated people aren't really people. And so that they can do whatever they want to them. But then his like sort of point of no return is, well, I don't know. Maybe it's not his point of no return. But really like they like when they really drive it home is when they were like, this human being who like isn't a trained person like this human being who got on the train and has a number doesn't count as a person because of the way that i feel about her and she deserves to be killed because of that i've decided that because of the way i feel she's not a person and can can therefore and must therefore be killed and then he gets his soul sucked out by a bug monster. It's and distressing. It's, <laughs> he, he melts into a skeleton. Dude, it's it fucked is, up. It is fucked. That will give kids nightmares. I know. It haunts me. I'm almost 30. <laughs> like, they, 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 I mean, I, I think that they, the message was, this is the consequence of his actions, but. The wages of sin is death. <laughs> it's, it's like that scene from Ark of the Covenant. It was, it was like Ark of the Covenant. Like my parents made me cover my eyes for that scene. Oh my God, where all their faces friggin' melt off. And like, also that's the thing is like, like that, that kind of bug monster has been present since the first episode. And you see it like start to kill someone several times. And you're like, oh God, like that's scary. Like what happens if you don't escape? And well, now you see, now you see what happens if you don't escape. You just become dust. He also, but in a really disturbing way. Interestingly, Tulip gets like chomped on for like ten seconds, but manages mm -hmm. to stay alive. He gets mm -hmm. chomped for like a second and dies. It's because he's a bad person. Yeah, so. I, I I think it's you could read it as his soul was weak. Yeah. Or yeah. some bullshit like that. But really, what it was is they just wanted to get it over with. <laughs> They didn't want to wait 10 seconds and draw it out. Yeah. Uh, season four is weird because it is not as dark, but is also much more emotionally subtle. Yeah. So at this point, we've lost the kid on ramp. It's gone. It's completely gone. So it's like now the first episode is literally just. It's like it's picture in picture. Like, basically the whole time of, like, 
these two kids who were born on the same day and like grew up together and you see their whole childhood from both of their perspectives and then it gets to like the end and they're chilling at, like in the like little like sci-fi goo tub you know where they get their number assigned and get they get the identical number and there's a whole conversation between other characters from other seasons who are like oh two we've never had two at the same time but because of the functions of the train like anything on a long enough timeline is theoretically possible or whatever and like that's the end of the first episode and you're like okay um we're not even doing the train yet i guess and then it's just a whole season of them going through the train and like having these like really subtle arguments with each other and like you know like their their numbers shifting around based on you know like how smug one's being or like their ability to communicate with each other about a problem or whether or not one of them runs away from something that's challenging and it's really subtle and really cerebral and they're young they're young adults like they're not children they're supposed to be like like relatively recent high school graduates they're supposed to be somewhere between 18 and 20 years old so it's like it's not even about children and it's about this like very complex adult relationship dynamic and also like how scary it is to go out into the world and how like neither like refusing to go out into the world can't protect you from how scary it is but then also actually going out into the world is no guarantee that it'll be okay. And like all of this like stuff that as like for me, for me at almost 30, I'm like, I remember that. And like probably at like 20, you'd be like, yeah, damn, that feels real as hell. But at like 12, you're like, what is this? What's happening? I don't understand. This whole episode has been about them standing in a line you know, <laughs> and whether or not they should follow the rules and stand in line or like not follow the rules and like find a way around standing in line. It's like a 12 year old can't relate to that at all. And, and then it throws in like Korean American identity stuff and like tiger parents mm -hmm. versus not tiger. Like it's it's a whole mishmash. It's like, of we've got like a like a chill Japanese American family with like lots of kids. And so they're like, whatever, one of them can be a musician. And then like a really intense Korean American family with only the one kid, you know, <laughs> it, it. So I, I, I again, it, it feels like they kind of really went for what they wanted to be and mm -hmm. kind of got slapped, you know, slapped for it whole freaking subplot about like toxic um like a different variety of toxic relationships where it's like um sometimes people's relationships are so toxic that you can do something nice for someone and the fact that you did something nice for that person will make someone else mad at you but like that's not your fault you should still do nice things for people i'm like that is a very complex idea <laughs> like i'm not even sure that i have fully integrated that idea <laughs> So we've got all of this stuff happening and, and really each each season can be viewed in a self-contained little little nugget. But, you know, I, I watched it in order. I think people should generally watch it in order. I think that's probably how it's best viewed. You'll get confused about some stuff if you don't watch it in order. Yeah, because 
especially with the first three books, a character from the previous season serves as the subject of the next book. Yes. So yes. You, you need that continuity. And it's unfortunate that each anthology has amazing characters that I am angry to not see. And so season one has one one. They've never given me enough one one again, and I'm furious about it. One one is two robots, sad one and glad one. And they've kind of got the, the theater mask thing going on where one is really cheery and the other one is really sad. Yeah, it's hard for me to describe whether they are one or two people. Because it's a it's a sphere, and the sphere never separates. But the sphere and the sphere like sad one and glad one will take over from each other in the middle of a sentence sometimes. Um, and what's part of what's really interesting is that in season four, which is a prequel, we see like so Amelia, like AKA the false conductor, like rip like one one is the conductor of the train. It's eventually revealed. And, like, Amelia at one point, like, ripped him out of the train and, like, dispossessed him. And it's implied that that did permanent psychological damage to 1-1 because Amelia always just calls him 1. And when we see him speaking to Amelia in season 4, he speaks with one voice and seems super different. Um, so that is interesting to me. Uh, it's almost like one, one has dissociative identity. (laughs) Yeah. So we, one, one is trying to find his way back home in season one, but he doesn't really know it. And he travels with Tulip and the dynamic between a sad and a happy robot is hilarious. I love it. Best character in that. You never take my psychosomatic condition seriously. Owen, uh, Dennis Owen Dennis himself does that one. one. He's great. I love him. It's I like 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 when one one will do stuff and Tulip's like what one? How'd you do that? And he'll just go, oh. Yeah, a ro- an amnesiac amnesiac robot who asks everything if it's his mom. Uh, Atticus in season one is great. Who is also like there's some great voice acting going yeah. on here oh yeah so, uh, Atticus is voiced by oh my gosh I always forget his name but I have his face so clearly in my mind um yeah what I have the stuff up he's uh, he's mostly Ernie it's Ernie Hudson, Hudson. Yes. yeah mm-hmm. Yo, I, I was just watching Miss Congeniality and he plays the FBI like <laughs> boss in that movie but He's great. Season two um, and season one both feature the cat. And the cat, the cat. is voiced by Kate Mulligrew. Who, for those <laughs> of you who are not sure who Kate Mulligrew is, fuck you. Um, she was fucking on Star Trek Voyager. Hey. He's Janeway. He's Janeway. Yeah, and she's actually, she is in all four seasons, um, and she actually, so this is a thing that, like, mostly matters about, um, for you and how you get paid if you're an actor, but the difference between recurring guest and, like, main or series regular, 
So she's considered recurring in seasons one and three and guest in seasons two and four. Guest is like lower than recurring, basically. Um, so she's there a lot is is essentially what that means. Like she's actually pretty a, a pretty major factor in seasons one and three. She's a trained denizen, so she is basically the train creates AI that embody a thing, like a cat that can talk. And I do want to, okay, the, the show brings up a lot of interesting conversations. Mm-hmm. For me, I was f- terribly frustrated with the show's, I get why they didn't do it, but I wanted them to discuss the personhood of AI. Well, they kind of do in season three. Yeah, but only insofar as like, oh, we should be nice. Like they, I don't know, like it's implied, but but I want them to- You want them to be more explicit about it? I want like them the, to be the like, whole the- bits about like how like- Hazel is so convincingly a person that they don't even realize that she's AI and she has very real feelings or that like Tuba had a real family that really died and she feels real grief about it, you know, and like all that stuff about like how complex they are emotionally. That to me seems pretty clearly to be about how they're people. <laughs> I, yeah, I, they, they, they have personhood. Yeah. Like. Mirror Tulip is technically a denizen. Mm-hmm. So they tackle this idea that like her personhood matters. Yeah. I guess I guess I just wanted them to be like, yes, sapient AI are people. <laughs> like they deserve <laughs> somebody needed to say that sentence. <laughs> I wanted that like they have rights and they deserve personhood. Yes. It's, um I, so that that's just a personal gripe. I I did I don't I don't I they didn't need to do that. I just wanted them to do that. <laughs> um, other interesting, um, like, little things uh, about denizens and side characters. Um, Amelia, um, who is important in really the whole show, the false conductor, uh, is voiced by uh, Lena Headey, who is... Cersei Lannister from Game of Thrones. Um, so that's interesting. Um, we have a character that recurs in season two who's just called The Toad, uh, who is also voiced by Owen Dennis. He's great. Love The Toad. Uh, kick me. Come on, kick me. <laughs> Don't kick me. <laughs> okay, the whole point is that each train car has its own theme and conditions mm-hmm. for allowing a person to continue on the train. The toad's car is just a white room car with a toad next to a sign that says, says kick, kick the toad. The toad. <laughs> and he's just like, don't kick me. He's like, please don't kick me. Please the don't only kick way me. That you can, the only way you can leave this car is to kick me. Please don't kick me. <laughs> It's it's honestly one of the funniest bits in the entire show. It's so good. I love it. Um, Margot Martindale, of all people, plays a, a small role in um, season four, uh, as does J.K. Simmons. J.K. Simmons is Pig Baby. I, um, 
Well, yeah, and so then we've got, like, frickin' Randall. I love Randall. I was coming to Randall. Randall's the best person of all time. Love Rand Randall. Randall is, like... Water. Water. He's, like... I, he is, like, Taika Waititi in this show. Mm-hmm. If, if I had to tie him to somebody maybe that's just the accent because randall has a new zealand voice new, new zealander voice actor i mean he is connected to taika watiti watiti and that like he is also a new zealand comedy person and so they have worked together um he's been on what we do in the shadows and um He's been on Flight of the Concords, which Taika Waititi wasn't on, but Taika Waititi works with Jemaine Clement a lot, so I guess they're connected in that way. Yeah, I, I think... I know, they're literally in a show together right now. Okay, so... Yeah. They... Randall's amazing. I love Randall. Uh, arguably... Is what... all the water here, Randall? <laughs> the answer to that question is yes, all the water Almost is always, Randall. the water is Randall. <laughs> um... Like, I, 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 you, you just hear a lot of like Phil Lamar's in everything. So of course mm -hmm. he voices like people on the show. So there's like, also, a lot of very interesting voice. Like Margaret Cho plays a character. Yeah, um, she plays like a sentient castle. But like regarding Randall, um, I have not confirmed this yet. But the voice actor Reese Darby, I am almost one hundred percent confident that he plays the new zealand kid on uh bob's burgers because i immediately yes. recognized his voice i was like oh hey it's uh the blonde new zealand kid from bob's burgers that they make fun of new zealand with i i ultimately yes it's him it's him it's duncan <laughs> yes duncan because he got my chesty I got yeah. nasty. And Tina... We call like, them sockies? We call them sockies? <laughs> <laughs> um, that episode of Bob's Burgers is great. Uh, so I, 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 I definitely think there's a lot of great voice acting talent. The, I personally, as a sci-fi music fan, the, there's a great... The show is a great... Not just soundtrack, but like the sound design of the show is really good. Yeah, it's all a bunch of John Carpenter synth. Okay, so the dude, like, the, the music was produced by uh, Chrome Canyon, who is, like, a dude. It's a project from a dude. Um, you can go research that if you want. But it's got, like, a very electronic feel. I want to say that I saw Mark Mothersbaugh's name in the, um, in the credits at one point, too. I feel like he might be involved. Not, not the main person. Like, okay. um, Chrome Canyon was, is credited as the composer for the show. Okay. Yeah, but it's like, like when you the first episode where the logo comes up, you're like, oh, this is a, that's a John Carpenter ass synth right there, um, and like basically the whole time of the show. That also like really gives you the vibe. Like, if you know anything about other media, you're like, oh, this is low key horror. You know, it's like all it's all like this extremely John Carpenter sounding synth. It also like Blake was like. Why is this reminding me of um, Stranger Things? And I'm like, because they also use a John Carpenter-ass synth in that show. <laughs> and that's why it's reminding you of it. But um, the, the, my favorite thing ever is that there's like a, a brief chase scene, which the chase scene's really scary, but they add a level 
uh, they have one one. He starts making sounds and Tulip's like, what are you doing? And he's like, wacky chase music. And if you listen really closely, they briefly play Yakety Sax on the John Carpenter synth. <laughs> Which is really fucking funny. It's so funny. One one has the best pop culture references. Mm-hmm. I think yes. the rest of them are pretty pop culture neutral. Yeah. But okay, so one thing that I, I also want to point out for for sci-fi people is that the show brings up I think that actually we can view this show in the same vein that we can view the show The Good Place. Go on. Okay, so how how do people how does a person's worth get decided in the good place? It's they an get, algorithm. They get points, right? They get algorithm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Infinity trait, like in that case, the machine isn't a machine. It's like angels, basically. Yeah. But they behave very mechanistically. Yes. Like they they apply the algorithm, but there is an algorithm. Which, interestingly enough, is actually very close to how, like, a lot of theological, biblical, and philosophical portrayals of things such as angels have worked. Because they're not human beings, so they don't do things like humans do. Anyway, go on. So, Infinity Train has has 1-1. It's unclear. It's not 1-1. The train does it. So, we see in Season 2... That the the train has basically a central processing car where, and I quote, this is the only car where the universe is projected on the outside. We've been going over what this means for a while. I won't bore you with it. Yeah, we had like a, like we had a whole discussion about it. Chris, basically the end of the discussion is, uh, Chris thinks it means everything else in the entire train is a simulation that occurs inside of your brain. Whereas I think I still don't know what it means. It's been haunting me for weeks. I don't think it occurs in their brains. I just think the car projects a universe outside of the central processing car. And that is everything that happens in the show. Oh, okay. I didn't understand. Like, I understood what you were saying differently. That makes more sense to me now. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So so basically, the I believe that the car is projecting a giant holodeck that is all the other cars and the denizens. I see, I see, I see. Okay, okay. Yeah. So you could watch the show and decide. But... We see, like, a lot of really creepy shit happen in this car, but the the gist back to the good place issue is that the train algorithmically tries to quantify human progress. Mm -hmm. As a psychologist, I am both utterly enamored and terrified of that. And And I think any person who, like, I'm a quant person, I like quantifying things like that. But I think they do a good job, both shows do a good job of explaining why th- that creates issues. Mm-hmm. And so they fit, they sit really nice in sort of like this modern conversation that we're having about how do we understand, study, and judge people 
and what are the pitfalls of excessive quant approaches, right? Whether it be like it creates insane outcomes like in The Good Place or in this show how the system itself is flawed from the beginning. Or, or there are flaws baked into it because it's a human being judged by a non-human apparatus. Mm-hmm. And it's very interesting. I love it. I think that they very clearly were thinking about that in Infinity Train. Yeah. Um, it, it addresses issues of personhood because the train refuses to see Mirror Tulip as a person, mm-hmm. even though they clearly are a person um it causes people to have to progress on a track that it decides is the best track but mm-hmm. honestly people kind of solve their own problems regardless of the algorithm and the algorithm i guess just is lucky enough to capture their progress and the system can be co-opted by external actors like the fact that one one gets to decide all of this stuff and that the train gets to do like the train has no mechanism for protecting itself the train has no mechanism for dealing with cases that fall outside of its parameters and that's like horrifying like that's to me the horror part of this setup is that just the way that it does things. There's no oversight. There's there's a lot of power with a very like rigid set of parameters that one one is shown to be unable to rectify. Yeah, okay. Or also it's just like, why are the gomes there? Why are they part of this? Like, they're shown in the very first episode, they're super scary, Tulip tries to get off the train, they're weird cockroach creatures, they immediately start chasing her, they try and tuck her soul out, and then later, later, we see, like, a poor denizen die, and it turns into one of the scary monsters. Why? Why is that part of the simulation? Why, why is that necessary? Why is that there? You know, no one ever explains that. Like, why that would be a part of it. And it's like, that's the thing is like, one one is the robot whose job it is to administer and operate the train. He's not the train. He didn't make the train. What is the train? Who made it? Why? How? What is that? You know, there, like, but that's the thing is there's so many, there's so many things about it that are so horrifying. And a lot of images that are really, really scary. But one thing that I'm really fascinated by is the idea that there are things that you need a certain amount of life experience to be afraid of. Like, we think of children as more likely to be afraid than adults. And there are many things that children are afraid of that as adults, we are not afraid of because we have gained experience. But I remember when I was teaching the second grade and all those kids loved Five Nights at Freddy's. And I was like, why are you allowed to play this game? That game is fucking terrifying. None of them were afraid of it. 
every adult that I had ever known that had played that game was like, this is the scariest game I have ever played in my life. And none of the kids thought it was scary, even a little bit. And so it made me think, I was like, so is that game portraying like a type of like impending doom and sort of like existential dread and also sort of like fear of mechanization and stuff that like as a child, like as a seven year old, you just don't have the like, you haven't reached the cognitive development yet and you haven't had the life experience enough yet to like actually be afraid of it. You know, and so I'm wondering, it's like, there's a lot of this show that is like that. And I'm like, so is the whole part where the part where it's like, it's not even meant to be a horror scene, but it's so scary where there are all these people in this weird, like white slime. And there are all these robots who are like, they're feeding, they have these weird little like moving beads on their head and a fucking tape coming out of their head. And like the robots are tending to them. And it's so scary. Is that scary to little kids? Like, you know, like, or are they just like, yeah, I mean, like robots do things sometimes, whatever. Yeah, I guess they do have a really nice capacity to just roll with the punches. Yeah, for real. I'm like, Five Nights at Freddy's not scary to you guys. What is happening? Well, you know, and actually I've been reading, I've been rereading, you know, don't at me with the problematic stuff. Yes, I get it. HP Lovecraft is problematic, but I'm reading some of his stories because (laughs) i'm a really big fan of the ethos not yeah they're they're it's they're good stories he doesn't have to be a good guy you know (laughs) so i i one of the biggest themes of that entire like genre of horror is that understanding breeds like the worst things (laughs) (laughs) not the worst things but like only like the people who figure things out who know things are the ones that are like horrified they're driven into gibbering madness you know right so in this case like we know a lot and that Mm -hmm. is causing us terror yeah And, and in that sense perhaps the train is an old god maybe yeah it's like it's like so like the steward oh my god so, like, surely that's a little bit scary, right? Because you see the steward for the first time as an adult and you go, oh, fuck, Jesus, no, God, why? <laughs> that's your immediate reaction. Well, because it's, it's like it's a porcelain mask with just like a mass of tentacles. Yeah, it's so scary. It's, it's horrible. Awful. Yeah, or like when, um, freaking, uh, like, Grace wakes up and she's like, Oh, God. Oh, God. The little beads and the tape coming out of my freaking head. And she, like, bends over and she, like, pulls the tape out of her head and, like, retches and stuff. It's like, that is horrific. That's like that scene in The Matrix, basically, which is super scary. But I'm like, is this... Because I'm so fascinated with, like, do you have to, like, understand things outside of yourself to a certain degree to find certain kinds of things scary i'm like is all of this like robot sci-fi horror like the gums are obviously going to be scary those that's a monster that comes and gets you that's scary to everybody but especially to children but like are all the robots and the the tape coming out of your head and all of that kind of stuff is that scary if you're a child or are you just like yeah whatever i think it would depend on the child Let's pull 100 children and see. <laughs> Not pull tape out of their heads. No, pull, P-O-L-L. <laughs> I, 
Yes, Let's expose them all to Infinity Train and then give them a survey. <laughs> um, but I, I think sort of looking to wrap up my views of Infinity Train here, mm-hmm. I, I just, I wish that there was more of it. I think it poses an interesting question to showrunners. Mm-hmm. How can you do what you want and stay true to your vision? I mean, to some extent, like Alex Hirsch dealt with these issues and basically said, it was difficult, fuck Disney, but I did it. Yeah. And that's the thing is like, I think that's a big one where many of us are often like, there really should have been three seasons of that show. They just needed more space to work it out. But like Disney, Disney just doesn't make three seasons of a show. And now there's a lot of stuff that's come out about what he was dealing with with that, that probably Alex Hirsch was like, it is not worth it for me to fight with Disney to make this three seasons. Yeah, and I, I, I mean, I think we're seeing, you know, and not to the Infinity Train was canceled before this, but I mean, we're hearing a lot now about how media companies are coming to the conclusion, correct or not, that their problem is is that they've realized streaming won't replace other ways of making money, and they're slashing budgets, reducing staff, they're like moving into austerity and Mm -hmm. i unfortunately have to wonder if this is going to be the end of the renaissance period yeah peak tv as shitty as peak tv has been by the way for those of you who don't know peak tv is what the the cultural critics in their articles have written about the period of time where netflix was just and, and its competitors were just, like, vomiting money to yeah. create just, like, an obscene amount of content. Most they of it would just bad. give you an infinite budget. Yeah. Like, peak TV's over. And mm. people are looking for a way to get ads out and look to try to beef up traditional television again. Um, I, I have to worry about cartoons because like owl house got canceled um we hear shit about alex hirsch dealing with what he dealt with before this austerity started dust started to roll in so you know this show very clearly had that issue and didn't get to make it to Mm -hmm. it they wanted to do eight I think eight books. That's so many. <laughs> I think that, uh, you know, should Owen Dennis have Trojan horse to the show more? Would that have undercut the show? I don't know. But that's the thing is it's like, so you look at like many it is not in any way a unique or fresh observation to say that like regular show was barely a show for kids you know um that like jg quintel like wanted to make a particular show and he was like yeah sure this is for kids whatever (laughs) you know but it was like in many ways very very adult 
And then he like went on to make a show that was explicitly for adults. And it's good. I don't think it's as good as regular show. I think that the fact that he was like, that he was constrained by the fact that this show was for children and had to meet like censorship rules around that made it a better show. And I think that part of the, I think that really the issue with Owen Dennis is that he had too much freedom and got like out in front of his skis, really. Because we talked, but it's like, yeah, season four is enjoyable, but it's like, it's like a Claire Denis film. It's like quiet and moody, you know? And there are, there are like, there are elements of that season that are like absurd and hilarious. Um, like the ever increasing like mob of like crazy train denizens that are chasing after them, you know, um, that's pretty funny and absurd, but it's mostly like moody and quiet and cerebral in a way that is just like, it's not only not appealing to children, it's only appealing to a specific subset of adults. And you have to, if you're going to make something niche like that, it has to be very apparent to everyone that you're going to make something niche like that, you know, and, and basically HBO Max was like, do whatever you want. And he was like, woo, and got way out in front of his skis and HBO Max was like, okay, well, that's not what we meant. We got to rethink that, (laughs) you know? Yeah, I, I guess... I I don't necessarily have an answer or want an answer. I just think that this may be a conversation that will be had a number of times going on into the future, not just by Mm -hmm. us, but I think, I mean, I'm sure who, like, who am I to fucking tell showrunners what they should do? I don't know what they should do. Yeah, no, I I don't know shit. But as an observer, it seems like this is a conversation that if they haven't had, they probably should. Like, Mm -hmm. Am I going to outstrip my my framing device? <laughs> yeah. A little bit. And, mm-hmm. I, and I think for good or for ill, that's kind of what happened. Yeah. And like as annoying as as audiences and as artists, like we all feel that executives are annoying and ridiculous. But I think it's worth being said that like. So something that's fascinating to me is that like 98% of Japanese forms of art from like sushi to haiku are based around the concept that you work within a very, very strict and inflexible set of rules and that you find the creativity and the beauty within your ability to create something new and different within that very narrow set of confines and Japanese art is really cool and is like respected in the world in a way that lots of non-European forms of art are not you know and so what that is to say is that sometimes you need rules (laughs) like sometimes you need somebody to put the bumpers up you know, and be like, okay, you work in this zone and t- show me what you can do in this zone. And sometimes that's what you need to be able to make something really great because without the bumpers, you start going off all over the place. Like, look at Kevin Smith's work 
Like, he got too much money and people stopped telling him no and now it's trash. <laughs> like, he'll never make dogma ever again because there's no one to tell him no. You know? <laughs> and so, like, I think that, like, the executives, as annoying as they are, as hilarious as those emails between Alex Hirsch and the, like, executive team at Disney are, like, they serve a role. You know, their 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 ability to sort of like constrain what you're allowed to do in many ways, like it's the need to find your way around problems that often creates interesting art. Which, by the way, if you haven't, go read the like all of you listening, go read those Disney emails. They're fucking hysterical. They are fucking hysterical. And I I laughed so hard. Because I had it's, tears in my eyes. It is both completely unexpected and completely on brand. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, the things that they wanted done are absolutely hilarious because you're just like, nobody is going to think what you think they are going to think, Disney. Like, no human has ever thought that. So go go do yourself a favor. You'll, you'll get a good laugh. But yeah. Infinity Train... I pushed for us to do it. Mm-hmm. I really, 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 really like it as a show. I just wish really good. Were, I just wish there were more. Mm-hmm. That's that's really sort of like my biggest regret because it is funny, it's sad, it's compelling. It 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 had it, it was definitely it definitely is great. It's a really good show. Yeah, I mean, like it has some problems. But mostly it's just really disappointing that it ended up getting canceled because it's like they could have had a comeback. You know, it's like, okay, we got a little too cerebral there. Let's like correct course a little bit, you know, bring it back to the center. Right. Because they were just trying to be like they were like, okay, so we have like a specific format. Like, let's break with that format in a way. And they just so happened to end up telling a story that was super like heady and overly mature for a kid show, you know. Yeah, you'll notice that neither of us harped on how the emotional messages were instantiated. Because mm-hmm. those were all yeah. great. No, they were great. Yeah, they were really good. Like, no, no issues there. We had issues with She-Ra and with Steven Universe on those fronts and mm-hmm. didn't have those issues here. So definitely important to take stock. Yes, definitely. Definitely. But yeah, go watch it. It's good. Yeah, definitely. It's on HBO Max. So if you have access to HBO Max, you can 100% legally view that program. Yes, before HBO gets gutted. Oh, no. I just got HBO Max, and I'm really enjoying it. (laughs) Yep. Discovery's gonna fuck them up. That is my opinion. (laughs) Well, we'll have to see, won't we? Our media landscape is... Ever consolidating. In flux. Like, I, for one, cannot wait for the next, you know, uh, Disney, you know, Disney Time Warner Viacom uh, entertainment unit to uh, be jacked into the USB-C port that has been installed into the back of my head. I'm sure it will be. Very shiny and very colorful and very loud, and I really look forward to it. Uh, and stay tuned for 2027's Who Hulu Flixney Plus <laughs> streaming platform. 
Um, but oh, man. I think that's a good place to stop. So yeah. thank you for joining us all. I have. We been, appreciate your patience. Yes, we appreciate your patience. Uh, <laughs> I've been Chris. And I've been Paige. And this. And this has been Animates. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were going to do it. <laughs> we're rusty. <laughs> Um, you can reach out to us on social media or give us a follow. We're Animates Podcast on Facebook, at Animates on Twitter, and Animates at gmail.com with the numeral 8 instead of the letters A-T uh, for your, your, your long-form complaints and questions and telling us that we're wrong about things. Um, if you like the show, please feel uh, remember to rate, review, and subscribe, which will help other people find it. We also have a Patreon, we're Animates Podcast, where a couple of people generously give us just a little bit of money to cover our hosting fees, and we periodically release bonus content that will either be released early there or sometimes exclusively for Patreon supporters, uh, depending on what the content is. But we are so grateful for you for listening, and we will see you next time. <laughs>